eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. On today's episode, I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson, to talk about Carolina's big win against a nationally ranked Wake Forest team. Before we get started, though, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Be sure you subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. The support doesn't go unnoticed on this end. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us, so that's why I've got to mention our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. When it comes to the Carolina apparel, they have everything you could possibly want. They have the T-shirts, the jerseys, the hats, you name it. They probably will have it. It's great people, great customer service since it's locally owned and operated by alumni. Go there, get your cold weather gear, get your basketball gear as the season gets started. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers get 10% off their orders. All right, as always, it's Mike Ingersoll, EJ Wilson. Guys, we alternate wins and losses for the seventh consecutive game week with Carolina completing the comeback to beat Wake Forest 58-55. UNC improves to 5-4 and four now on the year. It was uh, a massive fourth quarter where UNC outscored Wake Forest 24-7 to to close with Wake kind of inexplicably imploding. But, Mike, let's get started with you. What were your biggest takeaways from this game? We cleaned up a lot of things that have been plaguing us. Um, it, was, it was a more complete game from a from a pass protection standpoint. It wasn't perfect. There were some bad things, obviously some sacks, um, but it was a, it was the most complete game we played on offense uh, thus far this season. And I was proven wrong. We don't need fifty points to beat people. We need sixty. So this is the first game all year where I was proven wrong. We didn't need 50 points to beat him. We needed 60, but we did it. We somehow managed to do it. Um, and that's the second time in three years we've had a insanely high scoring game against Wake Forest, right? Wasn't it high fifties to mid fifties two years ago in Keenan stadium? Yeah, I think, I think just last year it was something, something like 59, uh, 53 or some, yeah. something where both teams were in the fifties. I'm pretty sure. And I think the year before was, was similar. So, I mean, you know, it's it's something about playing Wake Forest, you know, it's just going to be a video game, but uh, no, most complete game we played all year. I mean, there's not a lot of negative. Um, You know, I I think we're definitely going to be going bowling, whether that's with six wins or eight wins remains to be seen, but um, Sam Howell's at least going to go out with a bowl, which is a positive. EJ, what about you? What were your biggest takeaways? Uh, my biggest takeaway is that um, I, I think we are who we are on defense. I don't really see this defense improving too much uh, substantially to where we're, we're going out there and shutting down people. But um, I, I, I do think my second takeaway is that uh, just kind of building on something that we were talking about last week with these guys really showing character. We really showed some fighting, some gusto in that fourth quarter. I mean, I, I was kind of looking forward to getting on the pod today and talking about how we held one of the top offenses in the country 
uh, scoreless in the fourth quarter, but I mean, essentially we did, we, we got the stops that we needed to get in order to position our offense that was on fire yesterday to win that game. And I, and I, I was really happy to see that. I mean, that, that defense really turned it up. We got some big plays from uh, Cam Kelly, who I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, who was kind of a feast or famine guy yesterday. Uh, Tamon Fox came through with some good sack, uh, with a couple of sacks, some good pressure. And we actually had a Des Evans site. I mean, he, we had a good play, uh, from him. And then the next play, he kind of missed the sacks. So, um, we're still seeing the same inconsistencies. And I think this is, I don't want people to get too excited. This is the same defense that we've been seeing all year, but I do want to keep it positive and say that positivity pie and say that, uh, these guys did get stops when they needed to get stops and they showed heart. I mean, I don't even have a problem with, with, with Miles Murphy taking off his helmet after that stop, because I mean, that's a big moment. That was a defining moment, not only for that game, but for that season, this defense needed a defining moment, a defining drive, a, a defining win to kind of solidify this season with some of these guys going out. I mean, there hasn't been much upside this season, but I think this game is going to be looked back as really the highlight. So um, my hat's off to this defense, but um, I also want to be a realist to say that I, I, I still think they are who we thought they are, but that heart, that character, that res resilience that they have sh uh, shine through in the end. And of course we had Wake Forest help us out a little bit, but I'm still proud of what these guys were able to do. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm feeling nothing but positivity from this because as I said, the positivity is kind of backhanded, I guess, because I'm happy that we won and we showed that resiliency, but I'm also kind of like, I know our defense is going to struggle like this. It's just, are we going to be able to create turnovers? Are we going to be able to kind of stand up and, and be in the fourth quarter of the team that, that I think we can be with the way we train, the way our coaching staff uh, coaches and the, the type of character our players have, are we going to be stronger in the fourth quarter? And I think we showed that yesterday. Yeah, I don't want to imagine what the tone of this podcast would have been had that fourth quarter kind of not happened and Carolina mounted this huge comeback with the way the defense was playing and it was looking like you were going to have this uh, another, you know, superhuman performance from Sam Howell and a great performance from the offense kind of going to waste, but the defense, they made stops, they got off the field and I've seen a lot of fans, um, not a lot of fans, I guess a vocal minority kind of questioning how big an upset this is because Carolina was technically favored by Vegas. But, you know, I don't really care what the Vegas spread is. Like Wake Forest is a team that's found a way to win. Every... We've been proven we've been proven Vegas wrong for three years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when... Trust Vegas if you want. I got, I got some degenerate gambler buddies, and I always tell them, don't bet UNC. Do whatever you do. <laughs> do, not, do, not, do not do what Vegas tells you to do. When you have a team that has won each and every week, they Wake Forest, they haven't had the best performances every week, but it's a team that's found ways to win consistently. They're an, a top 10 team going up against a four and four team. Um, regardless of what the point spread, I, I think this is one of the biggest upsets of the college football season when you could beat one of the last six remaining FBS unbeaten teams. And I think you just have to give a ton of credit to UNC for getting the job done, especially when it, it would have been real easy for a lot of those guys to quit when you're down 18 to a top 10 team with a quarterback as good as Sam Hartman. But, you know, they, they, they never gave up. They, they fought all the way to the end. And um, I think it, my main takeaway is you, you just have to give a lot of credit to this UNC team. But, Mike, the, the first question I had for you, I have this stat from, I think it's from David Hale on Twitter, but in the playoff era, only three quarterbacks have had five games with 300 passing yards and five games with 100 rushing yards in a season. Lamar Jackson did it twice, Deshaun Watson, and now Sam Howell. I don't know if we've <laughs> talked. ACC. <laughs> I don't know if we've talked about it enough on the podcast, but the transformation Howell has made into, you know, he's not just running just to run anymore. He's running because he's actually really good at running the ball. And it's, it's a, a very viable op option for this Carolina team, not even viable. It's like it's needed for this Carolina team to be good. And he's proven that he can run the ball and be effective on the ground. You know, what, what's, what's kind of your takes on seeing this from Sam Howell, um, because I think I think I saw this from uh, Jason Staples where he was like, you know, it, this is the most surprising thing that he saw coming uh, that he would have seen coming this year that Sam Howell has kind of, you know, uh, just kind of rebuilt who he was as a quarterback when he was already a top five quarterback in, in college football. 
Yeah, so Sam has always been a fast, slippery, athletic guy. I, I don't know where the – I mean, I understand the surprise because he's been a pocket-passing quarterback. He's 300-plus yards a game. He's, you know, 30, 40 touchdowns a year and less than 10 interceptions. Like, that's who he's been for two straight years, and all signs pointed to that. That's who he was going to be again this year. But if you look back at the film, you go back to him in high school, okay, Sam – was able to do things on the ground his entire career. He just wasn't neat. We didn't need him to do that for the last two years. Uh, we had Javante, we had Michael Carter. We, we had no need for Sam on the ground until this year. Um, so I think what he is doing now is something he was always capable of doing. Uh, he just wasn't, he wasn't called on to do it. What I will say is there were a lot of Sam Howell poo-pooers about five or six games into the season who were saying, well, you know, in terms of draft grades, well, you know, he's slipping and maybe now he's a, you know, he's a, a second rounder, you know, he, he falls maybe even deeper into day two, you know, he's no longer, you know, a first round pick. He's not a lottery or he's not a, you know, a top 10 pick. Like, like uh, he, he may have been at one point um, or at least some boards had him projected and it's because his productivity has been down and he hasn't been playing well. And, and to those people, I said, you, you weren't really paying attention to what this kid was doing. Um, scouts now, if they know what they're doing, not all of them do, most do scouts now should, and I believe will recognize that this kid did exactly what Jason said. He rebuilt himself. He remade himself when he, when the team needed him to do that, he was able to be a dynamic football player, uh, when the team needed him to be a dynamic football player. And I think that speaks volumes about what his value is to a pro club at the next level, not as a runner. He's not an NFL running quarterback. He's going to get absolutely crushed. If he takes off at the NFL level, the way he's been taken off here in college, he's going to get wrecked. But the point is he can clearly adapt and he can change. He's like a chameleon. What you need him to do, he will figure out a way to do it for you. And he's tough as nails and his demeanor never changes. We've been talking about that now going on, you know, this is now three years, how calm, cool, and collected Sam Howell is, but really, truly, it's, it, it, is, it is impressive to see the maturity level in a young guy, because Sam is young, all right, age-wise, he is a young kid. Um, to see the maturity he has when he's being asked to do so much stuff, that the frustration, you know, aside from you know, I, I think the Georgia Tech game, he saw some frustration boil over for him a little bit. Aside from that, he has really kept his emotions close to the vest. You haven't seen anything really change in terms of his personality and his body language, how he's carrying himself on the field in a year when he's being asked to be literally the whole, whole offense. And now he's made those sacrifices and he's put all that together and he's managed to do it long enough to where, like we talked about last year, more guys are getting involved in the offense. And it's because Sam was able to shoulder so much burden for so long. It gave those guys time to catch up, to get comfortable and to really become contributing factors in our offense. And you're seeing the benefits now here late in the season. I don't know if we're going to win, you know, we'll beat Wofford. I don't know that we'll beat Pitt. I don't know that we'll beat State. I don't know that we won't, okay? I will say that we're in a position where if our defense can manage to somehow squeeze out a couple more stops and our offense keeps producing the way that it is, you know, we have an opportunity to win three of our last four games against, you know, college football playoff ranked top 25 teams. We could potentially pull this off um, and really finish out the year, obviously end it with eight wins, end it very strongly, kind of end it the way we were expected to begin it and play the whole season. But, you know, we, we just, we put a half a season together the way people expected a full season to look at a Chapel Hill. I'd say that's a victory, particularly because we had to ask Sam to do so much this year. We didn't understand the deficiencies and maybe the, to, to some extent, maybe the staff didn't fully understand the deficiencies and the gaps that were going to rear their ugly heads early on in the year. And he had one player, at least on the offensive side of the ball, who said, fine, put it on my shoulders until we figure it out. I'll carry the team. And that's exactly what he did. Um, people, fans, uh, Carolina fans, fans of college football, should really, really, really appreciate what you have in Sam Howell. Appreciate what you're seeing. You know, it's there every year you have great players come through the game. You know, we got to see Lamar Jackson in college. Uh, some, you know, guys like me and EJ, we got to see Michael Vick in college. Okay. You get to see my guys like me and EJ VIP. You were very young, but we got to see 
Michael Jordan play. You're going to see LeBron James play. I'm not saying that Sam Howell is a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan, but what he is is he's an exceptional football player, and there are not many like him, and there won't be many like him um, for a while. There may be guys who are similar, but in terms of what we have here in Chapel Hill, I hope people really acknowledge and understand and appreciate what you have in Sam. And I know I've said that for a few weeks now, but I really, really mean it. Okay. He is a special player. He's a special, he's a special kid. He's a special player. And he's certainly, and this is my Homer line. He's a special Tar Heel. He's a guy that's going to go down in the history of this program as one of the best. And there's been a lot of really good players have come through a program that, you know, frankly, is kind of unsuspectingly has a ton of, a ton of great hall of fame, NFL hall of fame, college football talent has come through Chapel Hill. Sam Howell is another one of those great players, okay, whose name people are going to remember 20, 30, 40 years from now, regardless of what he does in the NFL. Um, be proud to have this kid representing your school. Be, be, be appreciative of what he's done and the sacrifices he's made because he's really killed himself this season to make something out of it. And he, he deserves all the pats on the back and then some. And I, and I hope folks really uh, take, take time to, to – to look at, appreciate Sam, give him those pats on the back and, and be happy that we got to see this type of a season from a kid who, like Jason said, was one player for the last two years, reinvented himself because it's exactly what we needed. And he didn't complain about it one step of the way. He did what was asked of him. He did, he did what was necessary. Um, and I think it's really going to pay dividends for him down the line personally. And I'm certainly proud as a, as a member of this team, as a, as a member of this program and a letterman, I'm certainly proud to have a guy like Sam Howell representing the program. Cause I really think he is um, uh, the, the, he, he has done it with distinction and he's done it with honor and he's done it the right way. Uh, I hope we have more guys like him come through this program for years to come because he certainly is and was special. Yeah, I think at the lowest points this season when it looked like Carolina just making it to a bowl game was going to be in jeopardy. And you had a bunch of people talking about, you know, what, why Carolina needed to make it to a bowl game. It's getting extra practices for the younger guys. It's saving all the momentum from recruiting. But for me, like I wanted to see this team make it to a bowl game because of Sam Howell. Sam Howell deserves to go out, going to a bowl game. He deserves to play in as many big games as possible. And, you know, it's it's doing him justice by finishing this year as strong as possible. Because oh, and let's, and, let, and let's be clear. No matter what bowl game we go to, do not be shocked if Jacoby Criswell is your starting quarterback. Just I'm putting that out there. And I don't want to hear anybody say anything negative about this kid if that ends up being what happens. It could happen. It, could. it probably will happen. I'm just going to go it ahead and get everybody well. ready. Good. It very well could happen if the team goes somewhere like Shreveport or, or Detroit. We'll, we'll see, I guess, depending on the bowl game and maybe the opponent. Um, but EJ, the star of the defense, especially in that fourth quarter, it was storm duck to where you saw firsthand how big of an impact he makes when he's healthy and he's on the field. Um, just it's, I think, uh, 10 weeks later than most of uh, the defensive staff was kind of hoping you would see somebody like storm duck making an impact, but what did you think about his performance? And do you think Carolina wins this game without him? Um, I thought he had an absolutely great performance. I mean, um, like we were kind of talking about before we got on the pod, I mean, yeah, he had a pass interference call, but for, for most of the day, he basically dominated his side of the field. I mean, we really missed his impact on defense this whole season. Uh, we've kind of talked about um, how we haven't been having the pass rush, but we also haven't been having that covers down the field. And you saw that um, with him on the field. Yeah, we weren't absolutely. We weren't killing it as far as the stat column with stats, with sacks, but with the, with the way they did their play action and getting close to the line, we were in Hartman's face for a better part of the day and did make things relatively difficult for him, I would say, uh, more difficult than I think we've made it for any other quarterbacks. But um, I definitely think he had a great impact out there. And to be perfectly honest with you, I, di I didn't notice what type of size he had until he lined up on that big wide receiver from Wake Forest. And that's definitely something that we've been missing. I mean, we've missed his leadership. We miss his experience. And we've just missed his overall raw talent. And no, I honestly don't think that we win, we win this game without him. Um, that This game really came down to that stretch in the fourth quarter where we held them um, – we held them scoreless and allowed our offense to continue uh, in the rhythm and the, the mojo that they had all day and, and be able to pull this game out. But 
if if he's not there for some reason, and I'm glad they did, they decided to to pick on the guy that hasn't played in a while, but he showed why he's one of the top corners in the ACC. And I think uh, when his time comes, I think he'll be one of the top players coming out in the draft. I mean, he is the best name in college football. I think we can all admit that. I mean, I mean, second, I mean, it's going to be close contention with Power Eccles once he really comes out in the fans and the country gets to see what type of guy, what type of player he is. But I mean, no, it, it was a big, it, it was big having him back. And I think some of the other guys kind of fed off that. Um, we, we still, uh, I think Trey Morrison still kind of had a rough day. He had some, uh, a couple penalties early, but guys like Cam Kelly, I mean, I, I think without Storm's leadership um, and, and being in those guys' ears and being on the field, I mean, we, we talked about it. I mean, Cam, other than those two interceptions, he kind of had a rough day, gave up a lot of catches, gave up a lot of yardage, but he was there when the defense needed him. And I think a lot of that has to do with the leadership and experience of Storm Duck. So I don't think we win that game. I don't think we're in a position in the fourth quarter that we are without him. I mean, overall, I, I mean, we kind of struggled as a hold all day, basically on defense. It was another shootout, just like it has been for the past few years at Wake Forest. And honestly, like it has been for the past few weeks. I mean, I think most of, most of our wins this year have been coming in shootout form. So I mean, I mean, I'll be a little bit positive. They didn't get their team high on us this week. And I'm going to give that credit to Storm Duck in the way that um, I think that our defense prepared for this game. I do think that we had a good game plan, but I think that in the secondary, there's some issues that we have that are just constantly getting exposed from week to week now. Yeah, we, I've talked about before that the Carolina fan base, it feels like a fan base where you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop and Carolina's going in. Sam Howell gets the wind knocked out of him. He has to come out for a play. It's a clear run. Wake Forest kind of stacks the box. They stop the run. Carolina winds up having to settle for the field goal, and you're kind of in your head thinking, all right, Sam Hartman's got two minutes. They're probably going to go down the field, score a touchdown. And then, shockingly, I, I was shocked at least. I know you mentioned, EJ, that uh, Storm Duck was just coming back from an injury. You might want to test him, but He's he's somebody where you should not be testing him. He shuts down one half of the field essentially. And there's a lot of there's a lot of ways I think you can attack this Carolina defense. Going at That's 29 is is not one of those options. And Healthy or not, nothing on film says go after that guy. I mean, I, I I don't care if he's just coming back. I mean, you have to think about it like this. Yeah, he's just coming back, but he's had all this time to rest. A player like that, he's he he hasn't been getting the physical reps, but the film he's been watching to be able to take this in from the sideline and apply his experience. Wh- wh- why would you try that guy? But I'm so glad that they did. <laughs> yeah, now it's it's going to be interesting to see how the Carolina defense they struggled three quarters for essentially the um, for the most part of that game um, for the majority of that game, but it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of build off that fourth quarter, because I think it's something where once you start seeing yourself put good stuff on film, it it feels like it's, it's uh, easier to replicate it week in and week out. So it's going to be interesting to see how Carolina builds off that fourth quarter because you, you go from Sam Hartman, who's a top 10 quarterback right now in the college level, to another top 10 quarterback in Kenny Pickett on a short week. But Mike, so he's going to be the first, he might like be the first yes. quarterback taken. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike, it was a, a career day for Ty Chandler. He goes for 213 rushing yards, four touchdowns. Finally. Coming in, Wake, uh, despite Mike. being undefeated, they had a suspect run defense and Carolina seemed like Carolina really exposed them rushing for 330 total yards on the ground. Why was Chandler and the ground game so effective? I mean, part of it is Wake Forest run defense has been some of the worst in the country all year long. That's we were helped out by that. Um, But our offensive line did a really good job on their first and second level assignments. I mean, they did what they were supposed to do in the run game. Um, there were a few times too that I, and I was happy to see this, you know, Wake tried to bring pressure. We either ran into it or away from it, but we were able to beat the blitz. And once you get a guy like Ty Chandler out in the space, I mean, it's going to be a long day for an opposing defense. If you've got a guy like that out there roomed room to run, um, he's got enough wiggle. He's got enough, he's got enough breakaway speed where it's going to be a problem for, for a lot of folks. And we were able to get him into those one-on-one situations on the second level of, of Wake's defense. And, you know, he, he did, he did what he's expected to do in that situation. And he won those, 
one-on-one battles most of the time. Uh, but our offensive line, I mean, did, did just enough to give him just enough space to run um, and have a, and have the career day that he had. Uh, again, I, I, we can get into specific plays if, if, if you'd like, but on the whole, what I'd say is uh, they were, they managed to get movement on the first level sufficient to get themselves to the second level. And, it, and then they sealed off their second level assignments well enough. I mean, it wasn't perfect. Every, every, every run wasn't clinic tape, obviously. Um, but they did a good enough job on their second level assignments. And Ty Chandler is a dynamic enough athlete to where when he got up to that second level, he was able to make our offensive line look right. It was the type of run blocking, I'll call it run game cooperation between the offensive line and their running back that we saw the last two years with Michael Carter and Javante. We saw patience from Ty Chandler, and we saw him make our offensive line right. So when they got up onto the second level, and he can go one way or the other, he was able to set up those second-level blocks well enough to make us look right no matter what position we were in. When you're, when you, when, when you're able to do that consistently throughout a football game, you're going to see the success in the run game uh, that we saw. And a balanced offensive attack, you know, you're, you're able to, to score points through the air and get completions and it opens up the pass game and it made pass protection substantially easier for the offensive line when they're having that kind of success on the ground. Um, so really, I mean, Ty having a career day, 200 plus yards on the ground um, really helped us out in the pass game too. Obviously Sam didn't stay clean the whole game. And, you know, that's just something like EJ said, our defense is what they are. Our offensive line is in pass protection, what it's going to be for the rest of the year. But when you've got the help of a, of a strong running game, like we had this weekend, you're going to see it have a trickle down effect into other areas of the offense, pass protection being pass protection being the most obvious and the primary beneficiary of a great run game. So it's great to see Ty have a career day like that, get his name. I think uh, ESPN's whatever their, their college football roundup show gave, uh, gave Ty a, a helmet sticker, gave him some recognition. He earned it. He deserves it. He's been a workhorse. He's been killing himself all year. And he's another one that, you know, another one of these guys that it just took a few games, you know, for him to get comfortable, for the offensive line to get comfortable with him. And Sam, again, like I ranted about before, Sam was able to, to, to shoulder that burden, take on a lot of extra responsibility just long enough so that Ty could come along, get comfortable with the offense. And now what you're seeing is he's had several games now where he's put Ty has. Ty has put together really good games on the ground. He's been a huge weapon for us. And I think we're going to see that continue moving forward. We're certainly going to need it. Um, this week against Pitt. That's, that's for absolutely sure, particularly on a short week. EJ, the, the defense early on, it reminded me of a, a book I read as a kid. It was uh, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I think you Classic. could kind of use all those adjectives <laughs> to kind of describe the Carolina defense the first three quarters. Uh, then the fourth quarter happens. They get the Cam Kelly interception. They force two turnover on downs to allow the offense to get back into the game. And I think the the biggest question is what changed? What did you see that was maybe different um, in the fourth quarter that wasn't happening the first three quarters? I'm not sure that, excuse me, that anything's really changed. I mean, this is kind of something, one of the positives that we've been seeing in this defense, and it's kind of something that um, I kind of alluded to in the takeaways is that this defense is resilient. They're going to get stronger in the fourth quarter because they're better conditioned. And even though we may go out and play undisciplined, we may blow some coverages, we may miss some tackles. These guys don't quit. They're always guys chasing the ball down the field. I hate that it has to happen so often, but they're always guys in chase mode. They're always guys pursuing the ball. We're not giving up on him. And I think that, like, I mean, like, like you alluded, like you said earlier, like when you see these things on tape and you feel like you can do it, then, then it gives you a little bit of extra confidence. And I think in some of these games, we just so happen to win. There have been certain situations where we've been winning. I mean, th- this team just went out and, and they, they, I think that we wanted it more than Wake Forest in the fourth quarter. I think that Wake Forest may have came into, come into this game um, looking at our defense in a certain way, saying that they were just going to run through us. And maybe they listened to the podcast last week and heard me call our defense the team high defense. And they thought that this would be the same thing. They thought that they would put up 70 plus points in our defense, but they, they, didn't. they did. They did put up team high, those or team highs, though. Uh, it wasn't in points, though. We're, we're, we're talking about in points. Mike, you know, we have to keep it positive this week. We have positive. to keep it very po- po- positivity pod. Silver Linings Pod. Got it. Sil- Silver Linings Pod book. 
Um, but yeah, but I mean, I know, I mean, I, 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 that's one thing that I will never try to take away from this defense is the fact that they go out there and they try to win. This is not a couple of years ago. We're on this pod saying that we just don't see the effort from this team. These guys want to go out and win. These guys want to do the right things. And, and you can see, you can just tell that from the play that I, I was talking about earlier where Miles Murphy took off his helmet with that. Like, once we realized that we we're in a position to win the game, it's like, you don't mind that when, when a guy like that, who's been playing this butt off all year who's really i think raises profound nationally what i do mind is what, what, what i do mind is squib kicking that after that i, I, I do mind that yeah, yeah, but and then we got a max penalty on the offensive side, so maybe this team's waking up a little bit. Maybe we'll show a little fire on Thursday, but we we, we can kind of get to that later. But I mean, I I am I am proud of what I saw from this defense, but I, I don't think much changed schematically. I do think that, like I said in the beginning, I think that we went in with a good game plan. I think that we we showed a lot of pressure when they were trying to do these these long uh, the long mesh point, which uh, they're kind of famous for over the last couple of years. But I think that we handled all those things well relatively relatively to in the fourth quarter relatively to how we've handled them in the rest of the game I think that one thing we need to focus on is giving up those big plays and constantly having our cornerbacks just watching the ball just float over their heads and I mean we, we saw a lot of that but um I mean I think if you take away some of those big plays yeah we still give it up a lot of yardage but at the end of the day, we put our offense in a position to win the game. We came out against the win, uh, against a top 10 ranked team. First time we did that since 2004 against Miami. Um, we, we rushed the field, which I was kind of confused about because, I mean, yeah, it's a top 10 team, but it's still Wake Forest. So positivity pod, though, we won. We beat a top 10 team in Chapel Hill once again. So I'm very, very happy about that. Yeah, the, uh, the team high defense stat of the week is – Sam Hartman's seven touchdowns are the most ever by an opponent against a UNC defense. Um, Records have been broken. Greg, Greg had that <laughs> in the um, the game scoop on the on the message board, um, but he also had another good stat that kind of leads into uh, the next question I had, Mike. It's um, on average. Oh wait, Carolina averaged. Um, 3.87 points per possession. And there's somebody, um, Brian Fremu, who's logged every FBS possession since 2007. And according to his data, on average, an offense would start around the opponent's 35-yard line if you expect to score that many points per possession. So it's almost like Carolina's 15 yards away from the red zone with how effective this offense is. And the, the question that I had for you was, you know, the offense, they score 58 points. They put up 546 yards with Josh Downs only contributing 35 receiving yards. What do you think it says about UNC that they have performances like this where you don't have to rely so heavily on your star receiver like they have had to do in the past? Same point I've been making all, all day on this is that Sam shouldered the burden for long enough to allow these other guys to come along and get comfortable. And now they're, you know, guys like Anton Green, um, you know, they're Ty Chandler, you know, they're, they're viable options. Um, you know, we're seeing uh, Nesbitt is, is becoming a little bit a part of the offense here. Um, I, I heard something they said on the broadcast. Longo thinks this kid's going to be a first round pick one day. He very well may be. Um, but, you know, we've got, we've got weapons at tight end with him, Morales, um, we we've got pieces in place Justin where Olsen we, had that great catch downfield. Yes, he did. Justin Olson uh, finally you know, had a little bit of a coming out party on that. And, you know, it, it's nice to see those guys finally get involved. It just, it, 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 it took longer than we would have liked it to take, but again, what an incredible safety valve we have in Sam Howell who can literally take an offense and just be the offense for six, seven weeks before these guys finally start to get comfortable and come along. And that's not to fault these other guys. I mean, that doesn't make them bad players. It, it just means, I mean, th there's an ebb and a flow to an offensive unit. And then there's just, you know, you, you learn your role, you learn, you know, how, what you could, what you do well, you don't do well. And it takes a while sometimes to feel that out. It's not an ability issue. It's not a football IQ issue. So I don't want, I'm not disparaging any of these guys. It's just everything finally came together. Offense, unlike defense is, is, is much more, much more rhythmic. It's, it's there, there, there's a cohesion there. We talk about on the offensive line a lot, you know, the cohesion between the offensive line and how it's one unit, you know, 
you know, playing in harmony and has to play in sync. That is true for the entire offense. Okay. An offense needs to be an offense, a single offensive play is designed like a symphony. And when you have one note off, the whole thing can blow up. We've had notes off for this season uh, up until very recently. Um, That is, uh, there will be certain notes and certain keys that are just off uh, you know, every, you know, for a, a series or, you know, a couple of smattering of plays here and there, but earlier it seemed like it was the entire game. Now it's, you know, intermittent, you know, for the, but for the most part, we have a very cohesive unit and you're seeing other guys reap the benefits of it. And it's great that we can dish the ball around, spread the level a little bit more so that guys aren't, you know, guys like Josh Downs aren't being keyed on. What's crazy is, um, you know, we were spreading the love around and, it seems like Josh had all this insane production all year long when he was being keyed on. And maybe that's, maybe we need to just start making him the focus of the game plan on offense every week and just tell teams like we're throwing it to Josh every single play for him to have the hundred, 200 receiving yards he's been having. Cause apparently he flourishes under that kind of pressure and with that kind of attention, I don't know, but um, no, I mean, the, 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 the offense spreading things around and opening it up like they did um, you know, it, it's, it's all, I think, It all boils down to or can all be traced back to Sam being the type of player from a character standpoint and from an ability standpoint to take that burden on his shoulders for, you know, the better part of half the season uh, and be the offense when we needed him to be the offense with obviously a lot of help from Josh Downs, being able to play some two man football there for over half the season while these guys came along really proved to be beneficial and, you know, my hope is that even, you know, now, now it's a new test. It's a short week. You know, we're going up against Pittsburgh, potential, you know, top quarterback taken and Kenny Pickett. You know, we're going to have to score points again. They're going to have to put together a similar output that they put together this weekend in order to beat Pittsburgh. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I think that what we are seeing on the field these last couple of weeks does bode well for, uh, for their performance this week on a, on a short week. Yeah, I think the other part of that um... – opposite Sam Howell kind of uh, carrying the burden of this offense is that he's starting to trust other players outside of Josh Downs to make plays because it was something I I think I said maybe it was after the Georgia Tech game like you can't tell me Anton Green is running 40 plus snaps out there and he's just not creating enough separation to get more than one target and now it's it's two straight games for him where he's gone over 80 receiving yards and you're starting to see that confidence build in him between him and and Sam Howell and as a as a former receiver like you love to see Anton Green playing great because he has all the tools to be an impact uh receiver at this level he's got the size he's got the speed he's got the hands when you look at him he looks like what every coach wants their receivers to look like. And now it's, now it's, you're, you're kind of seeing what he can do um, production wise when, when he does get the targets and it's something where it's, it's going to be fun to watch him and Sam Howe kind of close out this season with the chemistry they've kind of built and the better well, Anton you, Green. You, you know, you know what it makes me think of, you know, we elephant in the room here, at least in the receiving room is that, you know, we've got some attrition. Um, some transfer portal stuff, you know, some, 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 some household names are no longer, you know, they've either announced they're not with us anymore or they're, you know, they're, they're, they're clearly not with us anymore. Um, and, and you wonder if it's a little bit like, you know, the old Orpheus and Eurydice, you know, if anyone's in a Greek mythology, um, Orpheus, you know, Orpheus and his wife, Eurydice, uh, Eurydice gets pulled down to Hades. Orpheus goes down after her, um, makes a deal with, with Hades, tells him, you know, I, I want my wife back. He says, fine, you can have her back, but you can't look at her till you get out to the end of the tunnel. So, right, you know, they, they're walking all the way out of the depths of Hades. They get up, they're right near the light. Um, he had to trust that Eurydice was behind him the entire time. And he got right there a couple steps from the opening of the cave. And instead, you know, he just couldn't take it anymore. He had to turn around. He, had to, he couldn't go on faith alone. Uh, he had to see it with his own eyes. He turned around. There was Eurydice. He, he laid eyes on her. And because he, he turned around too soon, he didn't make it to the finish line because he didn't make it right out of the cave like the deal was. You really see got pulled back down in the Hades right in front of him and he lost her forever. You, you wonder if this is one of those, um, you know, for, for, for guys who, you know, who, who may not be with us anymore or, you know, may, may not be with us anymore, you know, in the very near future. 
um, if that decision was was hasty, because what we're seeing now is the benefit, you know, the, the guys like Justin Olson, Anton Green, you know, they're reaping the benefits of patience and they're reaping the benefits of, you know, the offense, like I said, coming together and Sam developing trust in them and developing trust in other weapons besides, you know, just Josh Downs. And you wonder if maybe that decision was a little, you know, I don't know. I can't make that decision for these guys. I mean, they got, they got to do what's best for them and they know what's best for them. I don't, but I do wonder just on the outside looking in if um, maybe it was a little premature, maybe it was, you were just a few steps away from the light and you turned around a little too quick. Yeah. Can I say something? You know, I, I think going forward, we're going to have to have a uh, Mike's Greek mythology story of the week. I, I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> Hi, EJ, yeah. what do you think about the Greek mythology? Uh, I think that I um I'll let Mike be the scholar that he is and, j- and just let us talk about that. I think my mythology EJ, stories will EJ, be appropriate for the pod. EJ's more of an Aesop guy, Aesop's fables. Yeah. Aesop, Aesop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm more I'm I'm more of a I'm more of a Roman history guy. Start thinking of your story <laughs> for next week and if if the podcast allows it and you see a, another reference, work it in. I, I liked it. I think people are going to like that. But EJ, uh, Carolina lost its leader on the defense early. Jeremiah Gemmel, he goes out with a targeting penalty. How do you think his replacement power echoes did considering in the six power five games before this, he had played just a total of three snaps and Power Eccles and the young linebackers have been a big talking point when people are essentially begging for them to play. And we're hearing that they're not ready, but they're also, as we saw on Saturday, a play away from having to play 60 plus snaps. So how would you evaluate his performance? I would say that the play, uh, his play on Saturday and the play that we've been seeing from Cedric Gray all year leads us to believe that Mac may be on to something when he says that all our talent is probably sophomores and freshmen, but I was very impressed by what I saw from him. I mean, he came in and, and, and I, I made a note of that when I was watching the game and I said, I want to see how big that Jeremiah Gimmel not being there is going to be. And, and and we talked last week about Cedric Gray coming in when Jeremiah leaves and kind of being that guy, that's the glue and the continuity on that defense. And I think he really was, I think he really helped power come in and make some of those calls. But even the fact that power came in after not playing and he was a primary uh, call uh, play caller on deep signal caller on defense. Yeah. We had a couple of plays where wake force kind of sped up to the line and caught us off guard, but for a true freshman, you're going to expect that. But other than that, I think he handled himself very well and he showed why not only the coaching staff, but the fans and everyone around North Carolina and everyone around the ACC is really excited to see this guy play. I mean, he's not just a name. He can back up his name. The guy is a ball player. I mean, we saw against Florida state, the, the, the play that he had on the kickoff return where he basically blew the guy up and I mean I was very impressed with the way he played and handled himself he 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 didn't make a lot of mistakes of course we would like to see him a little bit more sharp out there but this is what we talk about all year and what we were talking about last year guys getting thrust into situations but still being ready to play a guy that's still being preparing like a starter this is a guy who's who's playing situational football all season where the coaches are basically creating plays creating special packages to get him on on get him on the field during the week he's not taking these reps he's not really seeing he's not seeing a lot of okay if they check to this we need to check to that and basically handling the defense on all three levels and I think he did a really good job of doing that it's not going to stand out to the average person because he didn't go out and fill the stat sheet up or he didn't have a lot of big pass deflections or sacks or interceptions but what we saw was a defense that, yeah, we weren't playing that well, but things didn't get worse. The sky didn't fall out when we lost the player who's obviously our best player on defense. And it goes beyond uh, Jeremiah's talent. It, it's his leadership on the field. It's his, it's his knowledge of every level of that defense. It's this being, I mean, him, him being a starter and playing his defense basically since this staff has been there so that's a big loss that's that's more that's that's a tougher loss than if you lose your star player I think about it in basketball I mean yeah if I mean you you think about all the great great things back in the day like I mean and not necessarily talking 
talking about the Bulls, but if you lose your star player who's a, who's a center or a power forward or a guard or another guard or something like that, that's not going to hurt as much as if you lose your point guard, the guy who knows what everybody's supposed to be doing, the guy that can correct guys when they're not as sure, the guy that can instill confidence because he's been in these situations before, and he can be that common presence. And the fact that he could come out as a true freshman and do that was very impressive. So I'm very excited for, for what this group of linebackers is going to show us next year. So overall, I'm happy with what he did, and I think he can build on this and be ready to step into those shoes. Um, and, and and if if just from what seeing the type of player he is and the type of emotion that he plays with, this this little bit of playing time is only going to make him more hungry. So he's going to prepare like a starter for the rest of the year, and he's going to carry his experience and leadership over into the spring and be ready to step right into those shoes. EJ, how important is the cowboy collar to all of that? The cowboy collar is very important. The cowboy collar is where you keep 87% of your knowledge, 90% of your toughness, and um, yeah. the rest is 85% badassery. It's science. If, yeah. And if, he, and if he if doesn't it, play with gloves. So <laughs> if this was if this was Madden, the second you put the cowboy collar on, your physicality grade goes up at least 10 overall, I think. At least. At least. But uh Power Echoes, he had the the second highest tackling grade. According to Pro Football Focus, he graded out uh, tackling-wise at 82.1. He had seven tackles, zero missed tackles. This has to be a – a ever since we did this podcast, at least a, a low on missed tackles for Carolina. They only had five missed tackles. Now, th- three-fourths of that was because they weren't anywhere near uh, the ball carriers or the receivers to make a tackle. Um, but in the fourth <laughs> quarter – when they had the chance to get guys on the ground, they got guys on the ground and five missed tackles is, is still five missed tackles, but exactly. um, we'll, we'll end the podcast this week as we always do with say something nice. Um, you got You got a lot to choose from. This isn't like the, mm-hmm. the Florida state game or the Georgia tech game where you're going to be scraping the barrel, trying to find something <laughs> nice to say. Uh, but Mike, how about you? Let's, let's start with you for say something nice. Uh, offensive line has had problems with twists all year. They have put together several games now in a row where for the most part, they've shut those down. They've had some issues with it still, but it is so much better than it was early in the year. And they deserve a lot of credit. All five guys through all, and I say all five guys, it's really more, you know, all you know, 10 or 12 guys, however many, you know, the, the number of guys were rotating through there on the offensive line. Uh, each group are rotating in has improved in that. Um, so overall our offensive line through that chart, and the guys that are getting game snaps, um, they have gotten better at the one thing, the glaring problem we had in pass protection. They have gotten substantially better. It's not perfect, but it is light years ahead of where it was at the start of the season, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. Give them a pat on the back. EJ, what about you? What's your say something nice? Um, I say something nice is that um... – I think that our young talent is exactly where we thought we would be. I mean, we, we got very excited about all these recruiting classes that were coming in, some of the big names that we were seeing, and, and these guys are turning out to be very talented players. Your Javari Ritzy, your Miles Murphy, Storm Duck, Power Eccles, our um, – uh, Ritzy, I mean, you you have uh, Cedric Gray. You have all these guys who are, I mean, Tony Rucker. Grimes, Ru- I mean, Kimon Rucker. Like, you have all these young guys who are just raving and raving about. And, I mean, there are just certain things, and I think non-athletic, non-X's and O's things that we need to put together. But I think the young talent is there on our defense. I mean, yes, we do have uh, comments where we want guys like Dez Evans, who are the high-caliber high, high recruits, to come in and play better. But – Overall, our young talent is playing up to expectations. I don't think that – I think this moment um, that Power Echoes had beating – a top 10 team coming in, replacing one of the best leaders I think Carolina's seen on defense in a long time. I think when we're in his junior, senior year and talking about him being up for all, all, all the um, all the linebacker awards, all the All-American awards, I think we're going to look back at this game and say, this is the moment. It may not have st- stood out the most, but real people who know football, the scouts, the coaches, us talking like the guys on Pro Football Focus who've evaluated and graded him out so high, you're going to say that's really his coming out party. So I'm very excited about our young talent on defense. Um, and I, I think they're really stepping up in, in big time moments and making some big plays for us. And, you know, with respect to Des Evans, you know, the, the point needs to be made that talent develops at a different pace. Not, mm-hmm. not all talent develops on the same schedule. Um, you know, Des is out there getting game snaps. And the only thing that's going to make him better is game reps. And he's been getting plenty of it. Um, he's either going to take a big step forward this offseason or he's not. 
but if you see Des take a leap, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, EJ, it's going to be between this, this season and next season. That's the, that's when you're going to see that leap. And, you know, I, I, I have to believe that with all the game experience he has um, and clearly with as hard as he plays, he doesn't take plays off. I mean, he's clearly the effort is there. Yeah. And the want, the want to and the desire is there. He's not a prima donna. He's not, he's not, you know, a highly ranked kid who's coming in and now he's moping because his production isn't where he wants it. Um, you know, he's also being, he's being put on the field because we've talked about this before. The coaches can trust him to do what he needs to do in, in the situations they need him to perform in. So he's, he's on the field for a reason. Now let's see if he takes that, that, that development leap. It's not a talent issue. It's just purely a development leap. Uh, between this season and next season. I would fully expect to see it. Um, he certainly has all the tools to do it, and clearly the intangibles, the biggest one being the want to. Yeah, my uh, my say something nice, I'm going with an individual player shout-out for one specific play, and that's uh, Garrett Walton on the the onside kick where he has the the smart play to know to just, just bat the ball out of, out of bounds. And uh, I chose that play because – when you look at him, he's a like a sixth-year super senior. You have a player like Kamari Morales who has cut into his playing time. Kamari Morales played 47 snaps compared to Garrett Walton playing 35 snaps offensively. You have another player like Bryson Nesbitt who's cutting into your playing time even more. And when you're a sixth-year super senior and you come back with these big expectations that I think the Carolina offense had and things don't play out your way and you start getting passed up on the depth chart by some young guys or not, not necessarily passed up, but they're cutting into your playing time. It's, it's real easy to get discouraged and kind of just give up on the team. And I think with him being out there on that onside kick and making the play that kind of sealed the win for Carolina, uh, I just made a note of it that I wanted to uh, give him a shout out and, um, I'm using my say something nice for, for Garrett Waltz and making that heads up play. Um, but that's it for this week. We got a short week with Pittsburgh on Thursday. So I'll see you guys a bit earlier next week to break it all down. Uh, I'm not sure what day we'll record probably, probably Friday and then, then release it on Saturday. I have to talk with, um, with Tommy who sets up this, the podcasting schedule, but Guys, always a pleasure. Oh, yeah. Yep. See you guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.